Welcome to Best Adapted Podcast, the podcast about film adaptations and the stories that inspired them. Uh, I am Frank, and with me as always is the, the, the wonderful, fresh off of work, looking sort of tired, but sort of happy to be here too, Caleb Drecky. Caleb, how are you? I'm always refreshed to see you, Frank, and, uh, and to talk movies. Um, so today is not like a, other episodes. Uh, it's going to be good this time. That's the big distinction. <laughs> um, but we are here to close the book on our very good friend, the dearly departed John Le Carre. Our John Le Carre miniseries, we got to try out five different adaptations of his work that spanned a pretty wide range. Um, he was, a, I think he was a great sort of source material or sort of thing to organize ourselves around in that way, in that it spanned both pre-New Hollywood and then really contemporary stuff, and I think sort of transitions that we caught in between a movie that comes out in the mid-2000s versus a movie that comes out in the 2010s. So let's go into what we covered. We began with Martin Ritz, The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, probably the freshest adaptation just in terms of that's adapting a book that came out just a few years before that movie did. Um, We then followed it up going chronological order of how the books were released. We then jumped into 2011 to do Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy by Thomas Alfredson, then The Tailor of Panama, directed by John Borman in the 90s, another really fresh adaptation, a a movie that's adapting a book that came out just a couple years before it did, The Constant Gardener from 2005 by Fernando Mireles, and finally A Most Wanted Man from Anton Corbin. So this is a a pretty, pretty eclectic mix of of like you said of of old hollywood of of new hollywood of early 2000s of of late 2000s and genre filmmaking and sort of more classical styles do you think that there is sort of a a through line to all of these movies why do so many directors from so many different artistic and cultural contexts keep returning to the well do you think with uh, it should be said varying results, which we'll get to later. But yeah, well, so I, in that I see two questions, and the first is sort of a market one of why does Hollywood keep continuing to fund John Le Carre's stories, and like why 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 was he an author that they continue to go to, and I hope continue to go back to. I mean, I think the experience of reading his books they they are relevant and they can. Even if the source material doesn't immediately feel that way, they can be made relevant. Um, I think mm-hmm. that the Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is a sequel to The Spy Who Came In From The Cold. And I really think that you can, as we did, watch the 1960s Spy Who Came In From The Cold film and the 2010s Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy film. And that that is a really elegant through line and that they that those movies make sense in conversation with each other and as a continuation of the same material. So I do hope that studios are going to continue to return to it and see value in adapting these. However, John Le Carre also got, I think, very tempted in the back half of his career about making issues movies that were about kind of a, a contemporary event or like an idea scape that was really relevant at the time. You know, Taylor of Panama is basically John Le Carre riffing on what is going to be a headline for the next couple years after that book and movie comes out. I'm not sure if in 2020-something there's any reason to go remake The Tailor of Panama, but I do feel like maybe A Most Wanted Man or 
Maybe a constant gardener, if that book is reworked, can be relevant and revaluable to revisit as a time capsule of that time and maybe expand the consciousness and empathy of those movies beyond what Le Carre himself was kind of able to deliver in the written word. I don't know if that has kind of gotten to your question or not, Caleb. I'm sorry. No, I, I think so. No, and I, I actually, I think that is, that's interesting that what you said, that sort of his issues movies and, and the, the, the work that feels most tied to John Le Carre's contemporary surroundings are often his least effective. And I, I agree with that. And there's much made of, of John Le Carre talking about the Cold War and then John Le Carre talking afterwards. But I actually think the clear dichotomy is when John Le Carre is writing about work and when John Le Carre is writing about the world. And I yeah, I actually think that is at sort of his best work, that that relationship is what keeps pulling filmmakers in is when when John Le Carre writes about work, and especially the kind of work that filmmakers relate to, which is often populated by young, idealistic people who are sort of broken down by the way that their idealism and enthusiasm is furthered towards nefarious ends, or at least yeah. less idealistic ends. And I, I think that is that is present in The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, which obviously Lemus is sort of a broken down husk. Similarly, in uh, Tinker Taylor, in which Smiley is evaluating his relationship to work and the corruption of his ideals and those and the ideals of those around him. I don't know. I'm sort of spitballing here. I, if I may, I think you're right that yeah, yeah. Lecrae's greatest strength through this whole miniseries and everything we've been covering on on the book front has been taking something that is just material from the headlines and turning it into an emotional tether and really weaving a kitchen sink drama out of something that you would read about in The Economist or something. Mm -hmm. I, I think especially in your description of work and of the relationship between young and old people in work and spying as an industry and how that industry responds to like idealism and strong values in young people. That is always going to be an emotional beat that I think filmmakers are going to be able to tap into. And so I think you could continue to sort of remix and reevaluate John Le Carre to make, you know, let's say a better version of The Constant Gardener that is sort of more in keeping with how a piece of art set in Kenya should probably be contextualized and how, how you should stack the performances in that and how you should, the relationship between your white actors and your extras of color, basically, which I think is mm -hmm. just sort of the key flaw of that film. But I think those emotional beats, and especially on the emotional beats of spying as an industry that rewards younger talent and then sort of saps them dry and turns them into old husks, that's not a bad description of Hollywood that translates clearly. I think if you're someone whose career is making movies, you're going to have run into a lot of those same roadblocks and triumphs in your own life and can draw from it pretty immediately in making a movie. So do you think there there will be a future in, in, in the John le Carré expanded cinematic universe? I think so. I mean, I wonder how much of it is going to be the Cold War books versus the current ones, because I think mm -hmm. that I, I do really feel that there's a fundamental difference between contemporary mo movies that are set in their contemporary time and movies that are period pieces. I think there's and I mm -hmm. not not to claim that any one is better than the other, but I think for me, there's a really fundamental difference between you went outside with a camera and captured what was happening in the city around you and then wove this 
narrative inside of it and a piece of fiction. And there's something different in like Thomas Alfredson and Hoyt Van Hoytum do in, in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy in which you can make the entire setting of the movie itself like an act of artifice and fiction and really synchronize sort of what emotional and kind of intellectual truth you want to convey to the audience. So I think the question is, is John Le Carre's work only going to be brought up as good Cold War source material to draw from? Because I don't think it needs to be. I do think that even the Taylor of Panama, something that is kind of has a, there's a certain designed obsolescence in that book, in that it's trying to make predictions and calls about a political event that is going to take place a couple years after it's published. I think that there's still, I think there's meat on that bone. I think there's substance to the idea of let's make a period piece that's really grounded in the perceptions of something that went differently than we thought, you know, Mm -hmm. just as I think there's an interesting story to be told about, um, I don't know, like a group of liberals on the night of the 2016 election, having no idea that Donald Trump is going to be elected. I think that if you can hear that and think, oh, I can understand or conceptualize how there's a good period piece to be made out of that setting, then I think you can apply that to any of John Lecure's work. Um, however, I do think it's ultimately going to be the Cold War stuff that works better for people and attracts them more. I think I agree. There has been a run on on later period John Le Carre, especially in the TV space in the last couple of years. For and sure. I think especially with his style of writing, which is so interior and so character heavy, I think that's probably where most, if there is a future for John Le Carre, I think it will primarily be in the TV space, which hurts my feelings a little bit. But that said, I do think that there is both a specificity and a timelessness to his Cold War work that is going to to be pulled back because those are novels very much about decline. And I think especially as we in the next 40 years are will will be experiencing both our own physical decline but also sort of the decline of American empire for sure. Uh and and come to terms with that. I do think that those feelings and relationships are going to be revisited and whether that is in a sort of a faithful period piece form or will be just his stories will be revisited. I just I just, I can't imagine that we're that we're done with him yet. I think he still has more to say. I think there's a there's a potency in his books from the Cold War. I think that he is a he's a younger man and he's kind of more immersed in these topics. And I think he was an immaculate researcher. He doesn't cover a lot of these topics great at the end of his age, but I think we'd all be pretty lucky to have a grandpa in their 90s that was capable of writing a book like A Most Wanted Man that showed at least, mm-hmm. uh, if not empathy towards Muslim men who are getting policed and surveilled in Europe, at least an understanding of, of having a lot of trepidation and hesitancy about that, about that structure, about that enterprise of policing. Do you think that, that he'll continue to be a source of adaptation for folks, and in particular the Cold War versus the post-Cold War stuff? Yeah, I mean, again, yes, I think I think the Cold War will, will come up again. I actually, I want to throw one name at you and sort of talk about another another phenomenon that we, that we recognized and commented upon, which was the connection to James Bond that keeps reappearing, is that people who work on Bond also want to work John le Carré because they want to sort of dig through the spectacle and and find the truth of espionage. And I I want to throw a name at you, and that's Sam Mendes, who I don't think is a great director, 
but he has directed the last three James Bond films, and in American Beauty and in 1917, which I think is a bad movie, has shown an interest in masculine ennui and trauma. Presumably, he's going to fuck up at some point in his life and make a bomb, because that's what directors do, and it happens, and that's sort of the, the life cycle of an artist. And I wonder if him, post post the failure of his career, if he is going to then want to turn to a John le Carré. I think that's a really good prediction. I would say of all the directors working now, besides it being kind of some like random like Anglo, there is something to Sam Mendes, particularly, I think, in his relationship to performances and actors and 1917 is maybe his least sort of i'm trying to milk a pretty specific performance out of somebody or as and a pretty Mm -hmm. specific masculine performance out of somebody i think the combination of his rolodex and his pedigree he could staff a john le carré novel well with actors he's worked with before like folks he's had in in the past i mean i'm not even going to do the numbers now but i think there's a decent amount of overlap just between the 1917 cast and Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. I think Cumberpatch and I think Mark Strong is in that movie as well. Am I wrong? I, th- I think for like a second, yeah. yeah. No Tom Hardy, but like I do think Tom Hardy and Sam Mendes working together is kind of a matter of time. Um, mm-hmm. Especially because I think Mendes has, he's doing James Bond, but he has not... You know, he hasn't he hasn't bought the Marvel machine yet. Like, he hasn't totally slipped mm-hmm. into a franchise. And so I think actors who are looking for work outside of a clear franchise, but that still is viable for Hollywood funding, a John Le Carre adaptation is going to be the ticket, I think. I could really see... I could really see a John Le Carre adaptation being the time where Tom Hardy and Sam Mendes work together. I have an audio drop that I prepared for... The spy who came in from the cold that just didn't end up showing up in the conversation. But it's John Lecure talking about the Berlin Wall. And it's an interview from the 1960s. So he's of the age where he talks about it as a really recent event in his life. And I think that illustrates the difference between when Lecure had to research to write his books and when Lecure had to recollect to write his books. Uh, I think it caused an appalling amount of human suffering in... in, uh... In the short term, families were divided, father from child and mother from daughter. And it caused what was much more important and much more long-lasting. It's, it caused a deep psychological shock for all of us. Uh, the image of a, a new war being constructed in the ashes of the old. Uh, this, this picture of absolute futility that you take a living city and you divide it in two. You truncate its existence. You divorce people from one another, uh, and, and you, you prevent the warmth of human contact between two halves of the city, uh, between two kinds of people, and which is the only thing which could ever save us. I love that clip. I think that, I don't know, like, he's, he's talking about it like a poet or something, and, like, I only hear about the Berlin Wall as a historical phenomena, you know? And I think even... Um, you know, Bridge of Spies, a movie that I think is very excellent in a lot of ways, I still don't think it quite captures onto the Berlin Wall, not just as like a roadblock or kind of this intelligence sort of barrier to get around or this sort of weird obstruction, but to think of it as trauma and the idea of ripping a city in half. And so I think that there's a lot of substance for how Blecure saw the Cold War and the Cold War world. I think that there's a lot of not just documenting of it, 
and categorizing different components of it, but like a lot of like artistry and poetry and pathos to how he wrote about it that I think any filmmaker trying to make a movie in that period should at least look at his work, you know, and just see if there's something in there for them. I think that's really astute. And I just, again, am always sort of blown away by his, uh, his soft spoken intelligence and empathy. God, what a, what a loss he is. Um, I, that was a, sort of a funny transition of our series in that the first couple episodes we do when he's like an institution kind of, <laughs> like he's not in the headlines writing new books and we knew he was old, but there was always a sense rather that there might be another John Le Carre book coming out or we talk about him like just sort of a, like a Stephen King type, like an entity that might just have another one around the corner at any time or might broaden his legacy. <laughs> and then, I don't know, just hearing the way we talk about him after he dies, like realizing that like his body of work had concluded and that he wasn't going to produce anything new in it was, I don't know. It's the difference between a fountain and like a, a bath, I guess, or something, but yeah, no, it's, it's, that's I mean, not a very good metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it is a reminder that we, we, we do take even flawed and, and God knows John le Carre was a flawed artist, but we do yeah. take, we do take them for granted. And it's, um, like I said, I, I really hope that, that his career and in, in new forms continues because, uh, you know, he, he has great insight into decline and into rot and into international politics, not as they currently exist, but as they function over time. I think he, he was a, a, a brilliant writer. Assuming that anything that isn't a, a franchise superhero movie can survive the next 10 years of cinema, I think La Carre is pretty well poised to do it. Um, he's able, He was able to work in like really like two diff, fundamentally different centuries. Like he's a 20th and 21st century source of adaptation and adaptations that did well, like even though we don't really care for The Constant Gardener, that's an Oscar nominated movie, like a lot of accolades, like a successful picture. Um, the same going for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. So again, like assuming anyone can ride out the next 10 years of movies after COVID and who knows like what else Disney is going to do to us. I think that Le Carre is, has, stands a good chance of being revisited. I really hope so. Um, yeah. Do, uh, do, 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 do we have more to say or do, do we get into rankings? I think we can get away with not ranking unless there's any like... There might be some fun to like fighting about a specific placement. I think really the only difference is I th- I have Taylor of Panama above Constant Gardener, and you have it the other way. I think. Yeah, but I won't fight you about it. It's I think they're both really bad. Um, yeah. So I would be okay with not ranking them. So how do you fuck up a John Le Carre book then? <sighs> um, I think the way to fuck up a John Le Carre book is to make it a thriller, and we kind of we talked about this with. Um, with The Constant Gardener and with uh, A Most Wanted Man, which actually, I don't think The Most Wanted Man is a is a bad film. I mean, I think it's... I don't it's think a, so either. Like, I yeah. think it's a bad adaptation, but it's as it's fairly okay. Um, it's watchable. But it sacrifices um, atmosphere and a specific kind of atmosphere, a sort of a mournfulness that I think John Le Carre carried through his best work, and and replaces that with a narrative propulsiveness, which I think completely contradicts the point of 
of of Lacare's worldview, which is is a sort of the reality of these worlds, slowly and methodically and sort of unnoticeably sap people and the world of everything that makes it worth loving and living and experiencing and and yeah. and to make to make something that is fundamentally slow fundamentally fast it kills the whole point yeah well and i think because i would agree that sort of most wanted man is of the five we watched that's kind of the last one that i think is still like an okay to good movie sort of i think that movie is helped by having a really strong stable of actors that it's drawing from i mean like mm-hmm you put Phil at the heart of any movie, like it's probably gonna like land. Okay. I think I'm excited to see the ones where it doesn't, you know, that hopefully we get to on this podcast later. Um, but there's also like Willem Dafoe. I think Rachel McAdams is really good in that movie. Honestly. Um, (laughs) I think that, I think that one of the things that movie got is that the, while it does have kind of dumb thrillery sequences and parts where it feels like it's just trying to emulate just like mid tier spy movies of the time. At its core, I think the best parts of that movie were people having conversations and having a realization that the tables had turned against them in some way or that a previous assumption, an idealism or a value they had about the world was no longer true. I would say like Rachel McAdams' Terrogation by Phil Hoffman is mm-hmm. like a a genuinely like good, strong quality scene. Watching Rachel McAdams lie to Issa afterwards. Um, and then finally sort of the climactic, like Phil Hoffman realizing that he has been like outplayed and outclassed in a spy game that he's no longer competent in because he has sort of lost his ruthlessness and chosen to trust a couple, like one too many people. Those beats all really work. And even if there's the dumb chase sequence in the middle, it doesn't distract from that. You know, the chase sequence mm-hmm. doesn't replace any of those realizations, whereas the refugee camp raid at the end of Constant Gardener or the um, or the like car chase at the end of Taylor of Panama, those replace those beats in, in John LaCarre's work. So I think as long as you get that the meat of the story you're doing is going to be accomplished in two people having a conversation in a room, as long as that's kind of your ethos of you always make sure you value those moments and never try to replace them with something else, I think you're going to successfully get at what John LaCarre is doing. As for making it into a good movie, like, that's on you as a filmmaker to pull it off, you know? Uh, uh, do we announce what we're doing next? Yeah, that's a great idea. We've got we've got a great lineup coming up for the next month and a half that Caleb and I are really excited about. Um, we're doing a couple of one-off series. We're starting with August Osage County. We're going to have Lana Richards on for that episode, a great guest who is a theater director in the in the bay area um it had like just i think a lot of great insight on both that play and also the sort of the act of translating a staged work into film uh we'll follow that up with my friend uh mads clark one of the hosts of the under the influence podcast and we're doing an episode on the girl with the dragon tattoo with them always good to be talking about fincher um super mario bros with ryan harris um that is I don't know. I like this movie kind of and Caleb doesn't. So if you want to hear Caleb get like really exasperated as like it gets closer and closer to midnight and he has to get up early the next day. And I'm trying to insist that like, no, but you don't understand. Actually, the mushrooms are communicating a lot in this movie. <laughs> um, Caleb, can you announce our next mini series that we have coming after those one offs? Yeah, we're going to be doing uh, a run on uh, five episodes on the rich history of Los Angeles noir heading to the City of Angels to plumb the depths of its gutters 
for the meanest boys and girls in town. Uh, we're really excited about this. Uh, we have some great guests, some great oh, yeah. movies. Uh, I think it'll be a good time. Thank you for listening to Best Adapted Podcast. Thank you to Slow Your Wolf for our theme song. Thank you to Zach Sisk for our artwork. Uh, thank you to everyone who's been listening. Um, it's been, I don't know, Caleb and I really like having these conversations, and it's been very fun to have people other than our parents also tuning in to check them out. So uh, follow us on Adapted Best at Twitter, at Adapted Best, and see you next week. Bye.